Welcome back to Get Off Our Lawn, and this is episode six. First off, I am so sorry. It's been a crazy, crazy few weeks of travel and getting laid off and craziness extraordinaire, and I have completely missed on getting Jim's podcast updated and posted and edited, not necessarily in that order. So this week, uh, really fun stuff here. We got Jim Cordes. And what I was hoping to do when starting these podcasts with the admin team is to get to know, obviously, the excellent games level athletes like Dell and Billy and uh, Freddie and people who have really interesting stories like Rebecca and also get to know people who are members and talk to them a little bit. Um, just to give you a little bit of background, I love hearing stories about people and I love hearing how they got to where they are and and just learning about people's decisions in life to me is a really cool thing and Jim was willing to take the time to sit down and share his story and how he got to where he is and how he got to becoming uh, a lawyer as he is and I think that's pretty damn cool. So without further ado, Jim Cordes. If you don't mind, let's kind of kick it off. You bet. Who are you? Who am I? Well, I am a 57-year-old guy who lives in Santa Barbara. Uh, I am a lawyer by profession. I represent employees in uh, employment-related disputes. So I am a left-wing contingency fee trial lawyer. So I'm probably striking fear in the hearts of a number of people who are listening. Uh, that being said, I like to think I'm a good guy. I have a wife. We have a stepdaughter who is married. So I have two granddaughters who live close to Disneyland, which I land often. What else? Uh, I am a somewhat early adapter to CrossFit. I've been doing this, I think this is my 11th year now. 11 years. How'd you find out about CrossFit? So I was uh, working out, uh, actually sort of a late comer to fitness. So uh, I didn't really do a whole lot until I was about 40. And then I started getting interested in working out and physical fitness. I had a kettlebell coach who was doing kettlebell classes. A real interesting group of people, a really fascinating coach. Uh, he was in the military, signed to UCSB to do some uh, graduate work. And he was sent to Afghanistan, and I lost my kettlebell coach. He came back, by the way, and he's going to be fine. I lost my kettlebell coach, and at the same time, another one of the students uh, who I was taking this kettlebell class with uh, was aware of CrossFit, and I had read, I think, an article in its health about CrossFit. This was about the time the well, the 300 workout came out, you know, sort of introducing the concept of kind of nutty, crazy workouts, and it sort of looked interesting. And there was a free CrossFit class at UCSB by some guys who eventually opened the first affiliate uh, in Ventura County, which was a little too far away, but I enjoyed the class. And then uh, was doing some main site wads on my own and just sort of waiting for an affiliate to open up in Santa Barbara. Now, when it did, I joined them and here basically ever since. So for anyone who doesn't know, UCSB stands for the University of California at Santa Barbara, which is probably what, just a couple miles from your office, Jim? It's about uh, 15 miles north of here. Yeah. Also known as the University of California Surfing Branch. Yes. Um, and I did my post-military community college at Ventura. Oh, no kidding. Yeah. And I was actually, so here, here's the old home week. I was actually born in Port Wainimi. Oh, no kidding. 
Yes. And you probably know how to spell that. I know how to pronounce it. (laughs) H-U-E-N-E-M-E. Um, so yeah, I, I've been around Santa Barbara quite a bit and, and I was, I I was kind of fascinated, you know, one is your history, two is how the hell does somebody become an employment lawyer and three, how'd you wind up in Santa Barbara, you know, and obviously this, this whole CrossFit thing. And, and so you got into it at 40. Um, why did it take you until 40 to, to figure out that you wanted to do fitness? I don't know. Good question. Um, just, uh, well, Part of it is uh, I was uh, in Hawaii, and uh, I think that's when I got engaged. Uh, but I was in there and had some pictures taken of ourselves. And my dad, who was a runner, an airline pilot, so it was important for him to stay fit, he kind of looked at me and said, hey, Jim, looks like your prosperity is showing there. And that was a little bit of a shock, a little slap in the face, but he was right. I definitely had the dad bod going um, and just, just sort of stumbled into it, just ended up uh, working out with my my wife was a personal trainer and just, just liked everything about it. Liked the trainer, liked working out with my wife, liked the, how I felt during fitness, and just kind of kept going with it. So, you know, it's sort of, uh, I, I think as a kid, I didn't really have, uh, wasn't very athletic or, or fit as a kid. And, you know, when you're a kid, you do sports, and if you're not good at them, it, it sort of turns into a kind of embarrassing experience, and then you, you turn away from that, and you end up not doing that. And uh, it sort of takes a successful athletic experience to change your mindset and realize, hey, wait a second, maybe I can do this. And that all happened after college. And, and so now, what is it to you to, to be fit? Is it fun? Is it, man, I'm, I'm 57 and I need to do this? You know, what, what's it kind of mean to you to be doing CrossFit? And I know it's not the only thing you do, but what does it mean to you? Well, it's, it's fun. It's the thing that I do for fun. Uh, it's very satisfying doing it. Uh, I, I enjoy a lot of parts of it. And then I do enjoy the being fit part of it. I'm not ashamed to say I'm a little vain and I, I like how I look and I like the, the physical things that I can do. And um, I, I like the endorphins. I come home after every workout and I'm, I'm feeling just very good, very mellow. And it's just, I, I like the process. So it's like, it's like a hobby, you know, some people golf, some people collect stamps or whatever. And it's, it's the hobby that I do. Uh, and I would do it sort of whether it made me fit or not. The fact that it does make me fit just makes it that much more rewarding. And are you a goal? Are you a goal kind of guy in that you're like, Oh, I want to hit this PR or is it a truly about just getting in there and getting sweaty or, you know, how, how do you approach this stuff? Yeah, man, I am totally externally motivated. I need somebody to tell me what to do and somebody to give me a task, give me a goal. Uh, that might be me, but there needs to be a task, a project, an assignment, and a goal. And then I go do it. And then I look at my buddy and say, damn, he did it a little faster than me. So I got to go faster than him next time. <laughs> I love it. I love it. And and is that buddy of a certain age or do you still try and chase down the 20 year olds or oh, where are you no. at? No, I don't chase down the 20 year olds. We've got uh, actually in our box, we've, I, I was just looking at the games uh, app a little bit ago. We got five men, 55 to 59. And uh, so, you know, there's uh, one of those guys I chase around. Nice. Nice. Are you an evening guy or a morning guy? When do you hit the box? 6 a.m. Okay. Uh, so you-, you know, my days. I mean, my days can go nuts by 10 in the morning. And if I don't work out first, the thing, so at 10 o'clock, at 10 in the morning, the thing I think I'm doing at 4 p.m. is never going to be the thing I'm doing it. So if I don't do it first, it will not get done. So I'm absolutely a morning guy. Do you do morning classes? 
Well, I, I, I do my gym now, my garage. Um, my thing forever was um, get it done in the morning because exactly like you're saying, I can't control my day. I don't know what meetings are going to happen. I don't know what fires are going to erupt at, you know, overseas and I'm going to have to be on the phone with people. And then that also blows my nutrition during the day because I'll be sitting there, you know, trying to deal with stuff. And then by five o'clock, which I'm a better five o'clock athlete than I am a morning athlete, especially now that I'm a little more less flexible and a little more crotchety. But uh, I, I try and get in my garage gym by five every morning. And that means that I can be done and moving on with the day. Yeah, I totally see that. I also see what you say about being a better athlete uh, later in the day. If when I'm taking the open seriously, uh, I'm usually not doing it at six o'clock in the morning. I'm usually coming in at noon or, or four in the afternoon just because I am better. Than. But the thing about the six o'clock is those guys are serious. I mean, it is the same people. It's a very consistent, very dedicated group of people. Uh, for the most part, people have been doing it quite a while. So we sort of coach ourselves, you know, show up, coach Right, so the workout on the board, everyone's done all those movements a thousand times, and we go do them. And yeah, that, that's. Uh, makes it, yeah. I, I'm sorry, sorry for stepping in there. That is exactly what I love about like kind of the morning crew per se. I, I did notice a tenor when I was doing morning stuff as the box. The last couple of years, I was doing custom programming, but even in the morning crews, people were, you know, if you're going to get up at five to get to a box by six or get up at four to be a box by five you're kind of driving it and then towards the end of the day i just didn't quite notice as driven a group there was obviously driven people but i just noticed a tenor that shifted a little bit do you kind of notice the same yeah i noticed i noticed the same thing when i do drop in at the later after afternoon classes you know people look kind of move around they'll bop around from four to five to noon uh, and then six o'clock is really six o'clock and i can i can pretty much tell you right now who's going to be there tomorrow morning yeah. Yep. And and if not, you probably got their number. You can text them and give them grief for not showing up. Exactly. Yeah. There's there'll be there's 20 people and there'll be a dozen of them there. One capacity. You know, yeah. not sure which of the dozen, but yeah, a subset of the overall group. So so where are you from? Because I'm I'm a SoCal boy in a certain way and NorCal in certain other ways. Um, I spent part of my time in uh, Oxnard. I actually was born on the CB base in in Wyneme. Um, how did you get to vent to Santa Barbara? And if anyone doesn't know, Santa Barbara is an amazing, amazing place. It's kind of a little Mediterranean location on the South central coast of California, but, um, yeah, it's a beautiful place. We're about a hundred miles North of Los Angeles on the coast. We are in between the mountains and the sea. So there's not a lot of room to spread out. Uh, we're bounded on the North bar. Or, so the coast here runs East and West. So, what I call the North, pretty much everyone else is going to call the West. Uh, and what I call the South, everyone else in the world is going to call the East. I'm, I'm dying. I'm going to interrupt you. I'm dying. I have the same exact problem because that's the same way Ventura is laid out. And I, you know, mountains were Northwest and East really screwed us up because the ocean's West, but kind of it's not really in that location. Right. You know, <laughs> and the way to give directions is just get on the freeway and then aim your car towards the ocean or aim your car towards the mountain mountain side of the freeway or the ocean side of the freeway. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I blew your train of thought there, but I have had the same problem. And then now, especially in the Valley, because North and West are kind of screwed up as well. I, I don't really, I just kind of go, go that way. Right. Um, so how'd you get to Santa Barbara? Uh, after college, I followed a girl, man, she's gone. I'm here. <laughs> so I had, um, so I was, uh, my dad was uh, a Navy pilot and then he became a pilot for United Airlines and he did his training in Chicago, and that's where I was a young 
boy, and then he was assigned to Los Angeles. And so we moved out to Orange County, 1971. Uh, and I've been a Californian for the most part ever since. I grew up in Orange County, uh, went to UCLA. I, I took a couple years in Europe, uh, but then after college, I, like I said, followed a girl and came to Santa Barbara. And it just absolutely clicked with me. It was the right size. I liked the pace, the vibe. You know, Los Angeles, uh, where I went to UCLA, was was too big and fast. And you know, other places I've been were just kind of too small and uh, sleepy. Ski bummed a couple of years. That was in California as well. But I'm a California. So you ski bummed up in Mammoth or in where? Mammoth? Yep. Yeah. 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 <laughs> there are a lot of folks that migrate between Santa Barbara and Mammoth. Yeah. So um, when you say after college, because I. I had seen you're a plaintiff's employment lawyer. And one of the things that fascinates me is anyone who says they're a lawyer, then you have to like ask six more questions for what kind of law they actually do. And then you get to ask them, how the hell did they find that space? And I, I would love to hear your story of how you got to where you are. Well, all right. Um, so I'm a second career lawyer. Uh, my original career was a radio announcer, so I actually moved to Mammoth not to ski bum, but to run a radio. And the skiing was just, then moved to Santa Barbara and got a radio job here for a couple of years and was okay at it, but not really. And just kind of looking around and saying, you know, the way media markets work, if you want to make more money, if you want to get to a bigger station, you need to go to a bigger market, which means you need to move. And I wasn't really stoked about leaving Santa Barbara and going to someplace that's bigger. It wouldn't be the the city or Los Angeles. It would be you know something like Modesto or Fresno or Bakersfield, which are perfectly lovely places. But I prefer Santa Barbara. And I just kind of looked around, and at the same time, then uh, a friend was a juror in a trial and said, "You know, you could do." So, and then I also had had so since I'd been out of college a couple of years doing my radio, I had some of my college friends had graduated law school by then, other friends that graduated business school, and I just interviewed them. You know, what do you like about business school? What do you like about being a business school graduate? What do you like about being a lawyer, being a law school graduate? And the lawyer job sounded more interesting to me. I went into law school with absolutely no idea of what kind of law I wanted to do. Other than I knew if I didn't succeed at this, I'd go back to being a radio announcer, which hadn't turned out that well for me either. So I was sort of motivated both by the carrot and the stick. Do well and become a lawyer, but I also didn't want to screw it up because I knew what that would look like. So I took law school super seriously and somewhere along the way really decided I liked civil rights. And I had an internship with the public defender's office in Sacramento. Uh, in the federal court system, which was an amazing experience, an amazing job. I wanted to do criminal defense because that has a lot of civil rights applications. Oftentimes, when criminal defense attorneys are arguing, they're talking about unlawful seizures, which is in the Bill of Rights, or their cruel and unusual punishment, which is in the Bill of Rights. So it gets constitutional awfully fast uh, and civil rights awfully fast. There wasn't any real work available in the public defender's office. And so the joke among lawyers is you usually specialize in what your first job is. And that's exactly what happened. I ended up working in an employment, plaintiff's employment law firm here in Santa Barbara. And turns out I'm good at what I do, but I didn't go into this knowing I'd be good at what I do. It was, I just kind of got lucky. What's it take to be good at being a plaintiff's employment attorney? Man, that, um, you need to, you need to be able to tell us. For the most part, the laws aren't that complicated. You know, don't discriminate against employees based on their race, sex, age, origin, you know, something like that. So that's 
conceptually, it's pretty. And so someone comes to you and says, I was terminated because of my race, sex, age, national origin, whatever. And so you have to kind of look at what does it look like? No one's ever going to admit it. So you kind of have to be able to tell a story, put things, take a bunch of facts and kind of time together uh, in order to tell a compelling story. Honestly, part of it is recognizing when there's not a case. Um, California is an at-will employment state, so employers don't need to have a good reason to let you go. And even if they have a fair or bad reason, if it's not discrimination, it's not against the law. So people come to me frequently with really sad stories about being treated really unfairly. Uh, and the inclination is, boy, I want to help these guys. I want to get them. But if it's not unlawful discrimination, then it's a function of their being an at-will employee, and you don't want to drag someone into litigation if they've got a losing case. So part of being a good lawyer is understanding where the cases are and not giving people false hope that you can help them with their case. Part of what I do as well is a lot of wage and hour. We call wage and hour. So it's people making sure they get paid for all their hours, getting their overtime, making sure they get their breaks. And that's super technical. Um, and the laws in California are they're complicated. Right. And uh, it's just recognizing that somebody has got, uh, you know, they haven't been paid properly and being able to help them. And then part of it's being a businessman. You know, I'm my own boss. So I've got to run a business. I've got to make sure that I can keep the lights on. So I think it's a you know, most, you know, some cases go to trial and they get resolved in a trial, in which case you are being, um, evaluated for lack of a better word by how well you put your mm-hmm. uh, most cases end up you know settlement conferences or mediation and then at that point then it comes down to your ability to negotiate and you know, realistically a lot of cases end in a negotiated mediation it's important to be a good negotiator and I love diving into why people are who they are it's just fascinating to me and and you know part of it is obviously this connection across fit but you know also when you talk about being a good negotiator it's like how did you learn to do that? How did, and I'm looking at a couple of negotiation books on my desk right now, um, along with uh, John Von Hoff's Fixing Your Feet, which is how to keep your feet repaired for ultra running. So that kind of tells you I have a weird collection right. of books. <laughs> but um, how, do, how, how did you learn how to negotiate? Did you, did you screw it up? Did you take classes? Did, did it come to you? How did you pick that shit up? I picked it up by... Uh, my first boss uh, was a, a really good nigga. And, you know, I'm, I kind of like learning stuff by just throwing myself in and figuring it out. And, uh, you know, so I've now taken some trainings and in some books. But honestly, I started out as a protege to my uh, first employer, uh, my first boss, and, and watched how he did it. Liked some of the stuff he did, didn't like some of the other things I did, and, and just, just kind of figured it out. Um, and I like to play cards, and there's a little bit of negotiating in you know card playing you're you're representing a certain position which may or may not be as strong as you indicate it is and then i'm looking across the table and looking at you and trying to figure out is your position as strong as you're trying to make it appear mm-hmm. and just kind of poking and prodding and testing and you know figuring something out i'll tell you a great negotiating book is never split the difference by chris voss He's okay. an FBI hostage negotiator, a uh, great storyteller. So every one of the chapters in his books has a little vignette about hostage negotiating, and then he uses that to um, illustrate the various points he's trying to make. But I guarantee you, if you think you know what his book is going to say, it, it doesn't. It's completely counterintuitive. But once you read it, it's like, yeah, it makes all the sense in the world, man. It's fascinating to me because most business books, I think, kind of dial down to about like 
two pages of literal content and then a bunch of stories. And so the good ones are the ones where there's really good stories and then you got a punchline and then there's a couple more good stories. So I'll have to check that out. And the stories make the point. So when you talk about throwing yourself in and, and, and learning by doing, when you first picked up a barbell to snatch or, you know, in the CrossFit world, you've been doing kettlebells for a while. Well, what was your experience like when you started actually trying to move a barbell? And obviously you had a coach there who hopefully was a level one, but um, it still takes a lot of practice. You know, it does. And I mean, my snatch is still a thing of this. So, you know, I've been doing it a long time. It's, it's still not very good. Um, you know, you, I don't know. I think like everybody, there's things that my body sort of lends itself to doing well. And then there's things my body doesn't lend itself to doing very well. I mean, I am never going to be a great Olympic uh, lifter. You know, my snatch, my clean and jerk are definitely middle of the road adequate. Um, but, you know, it's just, it, it's fun to do. It's fun to challenge. And you know what I really like about it? You may notice this as well. My professional life is really cerebral. I mean, I sit down and I think, and I strategize, talk, and um, it, it's just, you know, it's very mental and it's very sort of abstract. Uh, and then you go into the gym and it's like, you know, touch this piece of steel and pick it up, put it down 30 yeah. times, and then you're done. Uh, and it's a real reality check. I don't know, have you ever read the essay by Henry Rollins uh, about the iron? Because that... No, I, I have not. Go ahead, please. Yeah, so the theme is just, you know, the iron keeps it real. It doesn't matter what else is going on. You know, a 225-pound barbell is going to weigh 225 pounds. You're going to be able to move it, or you're not going to be able to move it. And that is all there is. It, it just keeps things real uh, and, and you know, kind of grounded. And, yeah, you know, so I, I like that. I like the fact that, uh, you know, one of my cases may take two and a half years to resolve uh, with a lot of uncertainty along the way and sort of figuring it out. You know, what's the next step? What do you do here? What do I do next? Is this the right way to go? Am I making forward progress? Am I making backwards progress to the gym? And they say, all right, I'm going to do for him. And I know exactly what I'm going to do. And I know exactly when it'll be over. And once it's over, it's done. You know, I right. did that. You gave me an assignment and I did it from start to finish and you know, accomplished. No, oh, I've, I've talked about that before and I've actually uh, written about it before. And the barbell weighs 45 pounds, you know, standard barbell. And some days it just feels like you could throw that thing half a mile. And some days it feels like the barbell itself weighs like 350 pounds. Yep. Yep. It's always 45 pounds. Exactly. And, and, and to your point, I mean, I work in product management, product marketing, you know, a lot of customers and RFIs and things like that. And there's progress can sometimes be really, really clear. And, and I don't know if you feel similarly, but like if you have a court case and a resolution, you have a delineation, but for the most part, progress is very slow and amorphous and you never really are like, am I going forward? Am I not going forward? Is this going to close? Do I, is the customer hearing me? Or are they not hearing me from my side? And so, yeah, just being able to say, okay, like tomorrow I have a 30, 20, 10 with body weight deadlift. I know what I weigh. I know what I'm going to put on the bar. And it's really comfortable to be, to get up to the bar and say, okay, I have to move this 30 times. It, it's hard. It's not easy, but it is measurable and I can be done with it in a certain amount of time. And so, yeah, what you said, I, I find that really interesting. But also the other thing I find interesting is it's the ability to focus like right now. I, all right, let me ask you this question. How many cases do you have right now? I probably have about 
15 cases, and there's probably four or five that are sort of flaring up at any given time. Yeah. So you've got a bunch of different thought processes going on, and I'm going to assume they're at different stages and, you know, you've got different requirements, but if it's 30 weight, 30 body weight deadlifts, that's a pretty clear mandate. Exactly. It really is. And it's nice that it's repeatable. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, absolutely. You know, so I'll get an outcome in one case and then I'll get an outcome in another case that might be uh, distinguished five times by the amount of the money, you know, but that, but they're so different, you know, which one is, which one's better? Well, you know, if I win more money in one case, you know, if I win a decent amount of money on a huge case or I win maximum value on a small case, you know, which one did I do better? Uh, yeah, if I, yeah, value is if a I, difficult thing to apply. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, I mean, you're, you're precisely right. It's just nice to know exactly what the metrics are uh, and accomplish the metric. Now, that being said, if my job was to always, you know, lift this 30 rep body weight deadlift every day, I'd go nuts because I do need the uncertainty and the creativity and the variance. Uh, but it's nice to be balanced. It's nice to have super long, complicated, confusing, what the heck is going on projects. And then it's nice to go, okay, do CrossFit total. All right, cool. Three, three movements, end of story. So what do you do besides CrossFit? And I, I've seen that you do some running and so forth, but uh, what else is out there for you? Fitness-wise or just life-wise? Uh, you, you, you answer the question any way you damn well please. All right. Well, you ask my wife and she'll say, my life consists of precisely four things. I'm at home, I go to the office, I go to CrossFit, and then I participate in a weekly card game. And she would say, that's pretty much all I do. I will say no every once in a while. I will, you know, park here at the gym instead of parking there. At the gym. So little tongue in cheek, but I do, there are some things I've really been doing quite a while. Uh, I do run that one race a year. Uh, my wife and I like to travel. Uh, we do a lot of traveling. Are sort of foodies. Uh, we like food. We like wine. Um, you know, obviously, I, I'm, it's important to not get bloated all the time. So I try to stay fit. But you know, I will have a nice glass of wine or a nice meal every once in a while. Um, we have our granddaughters, and they live close to Disneyland, so we have a Disney-focused life uh, with them when we're seeing them. That's a lot of the stuff that I do. So, what is this one running race that you do? It's it's the peer-to-peak half marathon. It is a um, it's a half marathon that's all uphill. As the name suggests, you start at the pier and you run up uh, Lacumbre Peak, which tops out at about 4,100 feet. So it's a, a half marathon that has about 4,000 feet of gain. And it's is really a, a different animal. I've you know run in any number of half marathons over the years. And you know by and large, you can show up and run a half marathon without a whole lot of prep. This thing, re, I mean, I'm spending probably eight weeks in dedicated running training with a running coach. I don't touch any CrossFit stuff during the time. It's just really about uh, preparing for the, and it's, it's, it's a tough race. It's, it's really hard. And there's a big sense of accomplishment in getting it done. So I've done that times now. It's every Labor Day. So usually starting in about July for July and August, by and large, my training consists of uphill. So, so why, and would you pick a half marathon with 4,000 feet of elevation as the only race that you do. Um, I, I don't know what races still exist down there because I've been gone for a long, long time. I think I left in 92. Um, and most of what I did was down actually in Ventura, Ventura half, a lot of 10 Ks. I'd come up to, uh, uh, a bunch of, bunch of the stuff in Santa Barbara. There was a huge running community in Santa Barbara, but, um, 
why would you pick a half marathon that has that much elevation gain when there are other choices that could possibly be a little more forgiving? Let me ask you this. Um, are you doing the, uh, are you doing the open this year? I'm not doing the open this year. Uh, okay. Well, so say you, you got a wad and you've got your choice of weights and you can kind of go heavy and really struggle through it or you can, you know, kind of take the lighter weight and sort of chill out and not really get too stressed by it. which one are you going to pick? Is that answer you do um, the hard stuff because it's hard. Well, you could also do the light, you, you could also do the lighter weight really fast. You can, you can, you can, but you know, I'll, what was, what's the line from uh, that movie with, oh, on the blanket, good wheel hunting. You remember the line, choose the wrench. You familiar with that scene? Uh, yeah. <laughs> so it's sort of a, yeah, it's sort of a twisted scene, but basically, you know, the, the theme is, you know, I'm going to pick the nastiest thing because it's the nastiest thing. Yeah. And you, which one did you choose? I chose the wrench because fuck yeah, him. Exactly. <laughs> so that uh, line sort of, that line kind of spoke to me. Yeah. Uh, spoke to me for different reasons because sometimes I had to choose the wrench, but um, what was early on in, uh, in, in this CrossFit Masters group, you had a different name on Facebook. You were the Claw, Claws Fit guy, I believe. Yeah, yeah. Where's Claw? What's so, that, man? So Claw is a nickname uh, that um, I picked up. And, you know, the thing about nicknames is if you hate a nickname, it's going to stick. And so I think in the nickname game, you need to sort of get out. And so I had this, this name, Claw, that I sort of picked up. And then when our, our gym opened uh, back in, what 2009 i guess it was i just decided i was gonna brace it so i walked up introduced myself to the owner and said hi my name's claw and that's been it and there's there are there are people in the gym who have no idea what my real they, i'm just claw and you know, <laughs> if you're you know uh, actually a couple of my buddies their kids are now starting to uh crossfit and okay. you know, these are high school kids so they're you know 14 16 and the other day my buddy's daughter said hey claw how's it going and i'm like okay that's cool. You know, I'm just, it is the great uh, equalizer. I'm just claw. I'm not a lawyer. I'm not nothing. I'm just, it's just claw. And I, I kind of like that. Nice. Nice. I put so. myself through college as a lifeguard. Um, and so I'd spend a lot of time in a tower staring at people in swimsuits. And if I'd be walking down the street, it was in Berkeley. And if I would just walk down the street and somebody would say hi to me, I'd literally have to stop and picture them in a, in a speedo and go, Oh yeah. Hey Dave, how you doing? Because I, I, you know, situationally your claw and situationally, you know, I didn't know any of these people outside of this environment. So it's kind of nice to kind of differentiate your worlds a little bit sometimes. Yeah, it really is. Well, that's the whole CrossFit thing too. You know, you see people at, uh, you see people in their workout clothes, you, you know, no, at 6 a.m., you're lucky if you got any hair combed or teeth brushed, much less, you know, uh, women putting on makeup, everyone's just kind of getting in and they're putting on their workout clothes and working out. And then, you know, you see somebody in their street clothes, uh, you know, a woman's got her makeup on and her hair up and it's like, do I know you? Like, oh yeah, I've been working out with you for three years. And it's the first time I've seen you, you know, just like a human being. In, in street clothes. Right. You know, speaking of clothing, occasionally you will post a picture wearing like a tutu or something like this. Yes. <laughs> Quite proud. So we have a, um, uh, it's a fantasy football league in our gym. And the, uh, uh, the poorest performer in the week ends up wearing a two. I've kind of got a bad streak. Uh, started off with a couple losses. Uh, I 
played, I don't know, my quarterback got zero points one week. I don't know if you're the fantasy football or not, but uh, if, uh, if you, so we've got 14 teams, and if you are wearing, uh, if, if your score is the lowest, you wear the tutu, you do a wad in it, you post photographic evidence. It was kind of like the, the same thing with the nickname. You know, it's like, look, I'm going to have to wear this tutu. I can either sort of dread it and shy away from it, or I can embrace it. Yeah, I'm wearing a tutu. I'm wearing my tutu. rock. This You've never seen a rock before. So um, are you a gambler? I mean, are you, because you, you play cards, uh, you do the fantasy football. Or is that kind of an outlet for you to, to play with the, the risk, whether or not there's a financial, I don't, you know, it doesn't matter to me, but is that kind of your personality to kind of take that as an edge and, and and spark the gambling side? Well, I, I, I enjoy I mean, I'm a, I'm a contingency fee lawyer. There's a certain amount of, uh, you know, I wouldn't call it risk, but, you know, contingent income. Uh, but yeah, I like, uh, I like, like I said, I'm externally motivated. Uh, I like measuring stuff. Uh, you know, when you're playing cards, you're playing for money. The money is the score. So you keep score. I mean, we're not talking high stakes here. Uh, but so yeah, you know, I like to win. And if you sit down with a hundred bucks and you walk out with 200 bucks, playing cards you know, that's something object you know something objective hey i did well at this, this right. session so right. yeah and I, I enjoy it i like i like the games i like playing games i like strategizing games theory stuff cool cool so let me ask you a kind of a closer if i may um the crossfit masters group or cf masters because we technically can't use the name but uh what is that group to you? We've got a bunch of members and everyone's a little bit different, but what, how do you use the group? You know, I really like it because it's really a group of people, I think, who probably get me uh, in a way that not everybody gets me. For example, uh, you know, if you follow me as you do personally on Facebook, I'm a pretty political guy and I put my left-wing political stuff out there and I'm even worried on Twitter. And, you know, in this day and age, in this society we live in, people are really polarized and relationships um, are formed or broken over political affiliation. And I'm as bad as anybody. I'm not, the first finger I'm pointing is pointing at myself. Uh, and even as I am like that, I recognize that's not a good way to be. So when I'm in the CF Master, I am really, really careful about posting nothing that has any political content because you know i mean there's a couple people who you know i'm sure we can both think of who are probably you know fairly you know right-wing politically people and people who if i sat down and had a political discussion with they would probably turn unpleasant and i don't want that uh i so i, I like people who sort of understand the thing about CrossFit. Uh, we've got that in common. You know, the fact that we both sort of get a rush doing a wad is, I think, more binding than the fact that you know, someone is voting for one candidate and I'm voting for another candidate. So I do, I, I like that a lot. And I could, it's, like, it's like putting a, a, a cover on a label of a bottle of wine. You're not at all influenced by what the label says. You really are truly influenced by what you experience. And so I do like that in the cross in the CF Masters group. Uh, it is a really fascinating group of people, even aside from the CrossFit. I have you know, many times been posted to say, hey guys, you know, looking for some life advice. You know, anniversary is coming up. Give me some good ideas, something like that. So I, I like, it's just, a, it's a very broad cross-section of people who share something which is fundamentally important to me, which is, you know, physical fitness and kind of all that goes along with it. Yeah, I, I agree with you. It's a, it's a really fascinating mix of folks. And, 
you know, you can't even see somebody walking down the street if they're a CrossFitter or not per se. Um, some of my longest term friends have been through, you know, triathlon listserv and so forth. And most of those guys have, have, have spun off into completely different sports. I don't think any of us do multi-sport anymore, but it's, it's nice when we have such a large group that it can be simple and it can be encouraging and it can be, um, you know, Hey, give me advice on my, uh, clean. I'm jumping backwards. How do I help? So, I mean, to me, there's just a lot that's there that isn't always specific to, you know, the CrossFit, the WOD, the whatever. And, and there's dialogues that happen and you get to meet folks in a way that the, the online world, as you said, can get a little bit messy and hopefully we try and keep the group less messy and folks, I think, can make good relationships that way, whether they do them electronically or actually meet up at a certain time, which I've been lucky enough to meet with folks, you know, as I dropped in in various locations. And that's kind of fun. It's a, it's a lot of fun for that group to uh, enable folks. And I think we're at like 28,600 members yeah, now. That's so crazy. That's <laughs> crazy. It's huge. And, you know, the nice thing, too, is you go uh, for a number of years, I did the NorCal Masters competition, which it's really a shame that uh, the TJ and Allison decided not to continue with that anymore because it was a great competition, but I think it just was sucking the life out of them doing it. But in any event, uh, you know, you go to these competitions and it's like, you know, a whole bunch of people already, you know, 30 or 40 or 50 people, you know, hey, how's it going, Jim? Hey, how's it going? And it's people that, you know, you know a lot about from the listserv or, the, or rather the, uh, the CF Masters. And that, yeah, it is really nice. And, you know, frankly, again, there's, I'm able to, well, there's a lot of smart, funny people. There's funny stuff that happens on that sort of, and some really, really witty, funny people. You know, I just crack myself up reading through some of these threads. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So actually, I just, believe it or not, I just sent Allison an email because I would love to get her on the podcast because NorCal Masters was, you know, a beacon for Masters CrossFitters almost, you know, almost internationally. There was people that flew in. There was folks that flew in from around the States. What was that competition to you when you went up there? Because you went up there for a couple of years, right? Yeah, I did a number of years. Um, you know, it was, it, it kind of blew my mind how fit people can be. Uh, you know, there are really, I mean, some of the, I mean, there's games athletes there. You know, you go to CrossFit competitions and you see people wearing, you know, their, then you see some dude wearing a Clark Holland t-shirt. You're like, wait a second, that's Clark. Uh, you know, and there are, so there are games athletes there. And it's kind of cool to sort of, throw down with them and just realize, wow, how incredibly fit and incredibly talented these people are. And then at the same time, you know, they're just, they're just people. I know we, uh, I listened to the interview with Freddie uh, the other day and uh, the first time I met Freddie, uh, the, it was at NorCal Masters and I doubt he was this, but made an impression in my mind. Uh, the, uh, the wad was four rep hang squat climb. And I'm kind of a small guy, not really, you know, lifting weights is not my forte. Uh, and so I was like, I'm going to crush this. And I, I loaded it up and I actually PR'd in the warm up area. And I was stoked on that. And so I'm going to go out and you know, I, I, you know, PR on the competition floor and the bars there. And I'm stoked. And Freddie kind of looked up, Hey, man, you, you're using this bar? No, no, go for it. And he ripped out about 600 of the damn things <laughs> at the weight that I was stoked to PR for. And then, uh, you know, then he's just, he's just a cool guy. That, that, that's kind of funny to me. It's like, okay, I got a little weight. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, especially folks that don't tend to get a chance to drop in much, your box is your world. You can see what other people are doing, but it's the crew that you work out with at 6 a.m. that you get to compare yourself in day after day versus folks from, you know, seeing 50 people in your age group changes your dynamic. 
Yeah, you know, it does. And, and one of the things about, uh, I think that I really like about CrossFit in general, and um, I've, I've been you know, listening, spying on you, listening to uh, uh, listening to the podcast, so I figured out kind of kind of questions you're asking me. So I was driving up and listening to uh, Nitro the other day, and he was talking about visualization, and you know that's something that really uh, has helped me, uh, just in terms of kind of realizing what's possible. You know, it's like the fact that 57 year old guys are doing this or doing that, or, you know, 55 year old women are doing this and that, and, you know, doing handstand pushups. I mean, I guarantee you, if it wasn't for CrossFit, I would not be periodically flipping up on my head and pushing myself up and down. No. And, you know, there's no reason it's just something I can do. And it's just something I wouldn't have dreamed of doing until I saw other people do it. And then I saw other people like me do it. And said, God, maybe I can do this too. And then I can. And that's, so, you know, the visualizing is just, so earlier I said, you know, I kind of just like throwing myself in and uh, to the situation and figuring it out. And what I really like doing is throwing myself into a situation where people are way better because then I can really figure out you know, what, um, what does good look like? Uh, but it also kind of normalizes good. So I was, I don't know, I'm kind of rambling here, but uh, sort of the first successful athletic experience I had was when I was uh, a ski bomb up in Mammoth. And I didn't go there to ski. I went there to run the radio station, uh, but I was running a room from a great guy. His name was Crazy Carl, and he lived in Mammoth. And his family was there in Mammoth, and his family were just incredible skiers. And periodically, they'd go, hey, let's go skiing. And, you know, these guys weren't saying, okay, you know, put your weight on your inside edge and do this and do that. They just kind of skied, and they skied well, and they skied smoothly, and they skied fast and under control and it's just like that's what we're doing today so you know i skied with these guys it didn't even dawn on me that like hey these are good skiers i'm i'm being like everybody else and being like everyone else i ended up being like good skiers and that kind of applies across the board you know if i want to do good job at lifting or running just throw myself in with a bunch of good runners you know want to run the triathlons i'm going to go hang out with ron for a while you know you just it becomes the it becomes normal well, tell me so, what you think about this one, because I think the other thing about CrossFit that folks don't tend to mention very much, but I appreciate, is it, it gives me a license to suck at something. And, you know, you, you can't show up in a courtroom and, and blow it. You're on, you know, you have a reason to be there. You have a long history of being an attorney, et cetera. But the first time you kick up into a handstand, you're probably going to flop down and fall over. And I love that because we don't get that a lot in our lives. And I don't know if, if that resonates with you or if you're more onto a different zone, but what, does that resonate at all? No, it does. I mean, it's a, it's a safe place. It's a safe and supportive place where you can try new stuff. And, and yeah, you can, I, mean, I don't like failing at stuff, uh, but you know, you, I guess the choice is, you know, if you don't want to fail, it's something you never try anything new. So, well, that's not good either. So I'm going to try something new. I'm going to fail. Okay, in what context am I going to fail? Is it going to be embarrassing? Is it going to be supportive? And yeah, you know, the gym really is. I like that a lot about it. And you know, it. it I mean, it really is. It, it really is supportive. And you know, by and large, people are cool people there. And you know, the people who aren't cool people, they feel as uncomfortable being there as I am having them there. I mean, if you know, if you shave reps, you know, you're not going to last. And it's no one's going to tell you you don't belong here, you shave reps. But, you know, like, look, we, we don't shave reps here. And if you do, you, you don't belong here. And you feel uncomfortable and we feel uncomfortable. And 
uh, I sort of lost my train of thought, but uh, <laughs> I, yeah, I, I guess actually, <laughs> I actually like, I love the rep shaving discussion because I will scale in multiple different ways. And I uh, granted I'm in my own garage now, but it, if I'm not feeling it for a certain day and it's 21, 15, nine, I will do, you know, 18, 12, six, but I'll tell people, you know, like the people that I know, especially I'm like, I, I ain't feeling it, you know, and maybe I want to keep the weight at that, you know, 95 pound thrusters, but I just don't feel like doing Fran today. And so I'll cut it down a little bit. But if you're honest about it, no one cares. But if, if you're cheating on it, then people are like, why are you cheating on a Tuesday morning at 6 a.m.? You know, I think it says a lot about someone. It, I couldn't agree more. It, it, it just, you know, what do they say? How you do anything is how you do everything. Um, you know, if you're going to have integrity, you're going to have integrity. And if you're, if you're not, you're not. Uh, so yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah. It, you know, I agree with you on the, on the whole scaling issue, but right. I, I, this is what I'm doing. Uh, and you know, if I didn't do it, that's fine, but just own it. Yeah. Own it and have fun with it. But, um, so, Hey, is there any, anything that you want folks to know about you that we didn't talk about? Cause I, I'm really happy to, to talk to someone who's a group member, who's, you know, quote, a normal human being and hasn't been a games athlete. And, you know, it, this is fun. This is, this is a reason I get to do this. So what have I not asked you, if anything that you'd like to kind of cover? Oh man, there's a whole lot of stuff, but I, you know, I think we've got it. Uh, you know, I just, I have to say, I'm really flattered that you guys reached out to me and asked to talk because, you know, I've listened to all the podcasts to date and I'm thinking, all right, wow, you guys must really run out of interesting people to talk to if you're calling me, but, uh, <laughs> Yeah, no, I, I I appreciate the uh, I appreciate the opportunity to talk. I mean, I honestly could talk about uh, God willing, we'll be doing you know we'll have this conversation again in twenty years, and we'll say what's it like being a sixty-seven year old CrossFitter, and it'll probably be pretty much the same. Well, my only challenge with that is in twenty years, you're not going to be sixty-seven. Did I say twenty years or ten? Years? <laughs> I think you said twenty. <laughs> I have the recording, so I'm going to go back. And oh, geez. Okay. Well, I <laughs> on on that brilliant and glimmering <laughs> note, I. I think hey, we're going to call it a day, Ron. Hey, thank you so much, man. This is fun. I love hearing the stories. I would have had no idea that you started out as a radio DJ. And to me, that's actually cool to learn. So thanks, man. Oh, you bet. All right, folks. That was episode six. I hope you had some fun listening to Jim talk about his life. When we first started, I had no idea he had the voice of a radio announcer. And that's kind of cool in my mind to learn a little... How do people sound? Uh, we see them a lot. We see how they write, but we don't get to talk to them in person or over a Zoom audio call, as the case may be. So thank you very much for listening to episode six with Jim Cordes and really hoping to get back on track with regular episodes going forward. Thanks, folks. <laughs>